Welcome to the Oxygen Mass Podcast. If you are here as a parent or caregiver, educator or grandparent, we are glad to have you listening. This program is geared for the autism parent, but we welcome and invite all who are drawn to be here with us. I'm Tara and I'm your co-host along with my partner, Beth. The title of this podcast, The Oxygen Mask, is based on a metaphor. Just as you are instructed on an airplane to put on your own mask before helping others, we believe we need to practice helping ourselves as parents so we can best help our children. Hi, I'm Beth. At the beginning of each episode, we'll turn that metaphor, that symbol of an oxygen mask, into a concrete practice, pausing a few minutes each day to quiet our busy minds and breathe into our bellies provides a surge of stress-reducing neurochemicals. With practice over time, we actually build pathways in our brains that help reduce our stress response. So even if you hit play on this podcast about to enter multitasking mode, please take a moment of pause for yourself. Let's begin. Close your eyes softly and bring your attention to your feet as they contact the surface beneath them, rooting you to this moment. Roll your shoulders back. Let them settle in a strong, relaxed posture. Take a belly breath in through your nose. Feel the sensation of air in your nostrils, in the back of your throat. Exhale slowly. Notice your chest fall and your belly soften. Draw another deep breath into your belly. Envision the cool air swirling up across your forehead. Exhale, picturing the warm air going down the back of your neck and over your shoulders. Bring your attention to your face, your temples, your jaw. Take a final cleansing breath in. At the top of your in-breath, bend your elbows and softly place your hands on your hips. Exhale slowly, perhaps letting a smile curl the corners of your mouth. Hold this posture for a few seconds as you open your eyes. Again, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is episode four of the Oxygen Mask podcast. In episode three, we revisited some topics and we're going to launch into a new direction with episode four. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Tara, and today's topic is what's going on here. Um, So we were kind of going back and forth about what we've already talked about, and we wanted to just take a minute here today and talk about what is going on here. What makes autism so hard to recognize, to grasp, to identify, to accept? And that's kind of the the beginnings of, you know, the journey of being on uh, the autism path with your child. So... I think in an earlier episode, we had kind of wondered out loud or we're like, oh, those were the forms of denial that we entered into. Um, It's just sensory or it's just language delay. It's not autism. And so, um, but naming it as denial was not nearly, it was like oversimplistic. So we're going to kind of dig into that uh, lack of clarity here. Um, just, but just to name like denial is part of grief and grief is completely natural, um, uh, I was looking up the phases of grief because I knew some of them, but the phases of grief are shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Like these are steps in a process, but it's totally not linear and circular. 
Um, so grief is part of getting hard, challenging information. We'll discuss that more at length in another episode, um, but we want to go here today to talk about um, why is autism so discombobulating? <laughs> Say that again? Yes. Discombobulating. We That's love that word. One of my favorite words, I think. And it is, it's so, um, kind of wraps up exactly what, what it's all about, right? It, autism mm-hmm. can just be discombobulating. And just kind of going back to that whole grief process too, it's not to say that um, we don't love and accept our children it's, but it is, we have to recognize that there is a component of grief um, to this diagnosis. And I think we've talked a little bit about why is that and, and why is it so discombobulating and why, are, why is it so um, unclear in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of range of emotions and actions and, um, you know, we stumble and we're confused. And so we were talking back and forth and we kind of propose that there's four S's as to why. So we're getting very clever with our, our <laughs> lecture here today. But we have four S's, and, and one of them is spectrum, um, systems, stigma, and self. And so we're going to start by talking about spectrum because I think that's what's um, widely recognized is that autism is a spectrum. So there's a variety of um, abilities and limitations that any one person can have with autism. And so um, I think that is part of what makes this so challenging is that there is not one diagnosis that is the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very common to kind of go, well, that doesn't quite fit, you know, that label doesn't fit my child because he doesn't do X, Y, and Z. And that happened with us um, when Alex was first, we kind of were first thinking about, well, what's going on here for him? And I knew um, somebody whose child was a little bit older than mine and had kind of classic symptoms of autism. Um, He wasn't very verbal. Um, It was just noticeable, right? And for Alex, it wasn't as noticeable to me. He didn't act anything like him. Mm -hmm. He was not as docile. He was was talking, but it wasn't real effective. Um, So it just looked so different than what I thought was autism. And that kind of plays into what media had portrayed, too, as autism at the time. And you have to remember, this was 11 years ago, so it's been a, a little bit. Um, but it just didn't look like what I thought it was, and and I had no idea. And so that was super confusing and discombobulating, right? So I didn't know that there was such a range on that spectrum. I knew it was a spectrum disorder, but I didn't really know what that meant. So. Right, right. And within the label, there's so much uncertainty, like you said, but also it's an invisible disability. So... Um, adapting to that like you're looking for the external signs you're looking for the external anchor anchor points that you've seen in others or in other depictions Um, so the invisibility of the disability is really a challenge so just a little recap of when we talk about spectrum we're talking about um, so Asperger's has been pulled into that diagnosis um, pervasive developmental delays um, and also so the spectrum is huge. It's had other labels um, that all are under the same umbrella. And also there's other terminology and diagnoses that share some characteristics with, with autism, um, especially in the, ex- in the like, behaviors you'd see. So like I could describe my kid as OCD as he's lining up some of his things or right. really, really adamant about how things are arranged or the schedule of things. Um, or ADHD. So there's all these ways. These are all like neurological pieces that connect, um, and it can be confusing because a lot of those 
descriptors we have more of a grasp on than we do mm-hmm. for autism. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, for us, we kind of focused in on, well, it's his speech that isn't effective. So let's start with that. It's not mm-hmm. autism. It's just his speech. And that certainly was a component of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's very confusing to kind of mm-hmm. go, well, is it just OCD or is that a factor into the bigger picture of an autism diagnosis? Right. So mm-hmm. it's very confusing. There's ways you could break off pieces of it and call mm-hmm. it something else. Um, and the other thing with it being, it's like developmental. So as kids change and grow, um, what you're seeing is shifting and changing, and it is, varies by context. So sometimes you'll see drastic differences between your kid and other kids, and other times you really won't notice many differences, depending on are they at the playground or are they supposed to be sitting in circle time? <laughs> yeah, I think that was one of the things I wish I could go back and tell myself is, yeah, your child's going to change and grow, and that means they're going to evolve and learn and and in some ways, they're, the things that they're having challenges with now will no longer be a challenge. There'll be new challenges. Right. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it just it always is evolving and changing. And it, it is hard to know exactly what is um, developmentally um, a challenge, like a, a typical mm-hmm. challenge for that milestone age or whatever it is, or what is there something else that's going on right. here. So it's very, particularly with young children, it's hard to, to know what's mm-hmm. going on. And it sort of feels like connecting dots over time. And sometimes we, um, it's easy to miss some of the dots as we connect them. Um, you can feel like you're, I remember feeling almost guilty, like I was looking for a problem and mm. pointing out and holding on to this difference or this struggle that we've had, um, that I was creating the problem Um but that wasn't the case at all. We also grow and adapt beautifully to our children in those early years, and that's mm. what a parent-child relationship is. Right? I mean, I was like an extension of my child's arms sometimes, where oh, he would, yeah. I want you to touch that. I, and I just knew what he wanted, so yeah. I would anticipate that. And um, There's so a little bit of enabling that happens, mm-hmm. too, as that adaptation happens. You kind of Try not to upset the apple cart, or it's yeah. just easier if you do it for them, or you know, and and that's part of helping your child along. But also, yeah, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to be pouring his juice when he's seven years old. Mm-hmm. Like, he can do this on his own. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how the only when you have sort of an additional pair of eyes that you kind of recognize these differences. It's also really common to explain away what the the dots that you have mm-hmm. named and seen. So. I heard a lot of, oh, he's just a boy. There's, like in parenting books and mm-hmm. all kinds of things, there's so many other descriptions. Is your child strong-willed, quirky? It's a spirited child, mm-hmm. or he's a little engineer? And all these alternative ways of, yeah. of understanding and, and minimizing possibly what's going For on. For sure. And that even happens not just with you know parents, but I think when we get that reinforced from outside experts, oh, well, he's, you know, your youngest and your older kids are speaking for him. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, he's a boy and he's not going to have the same, you know, social skills a, as a girl might. And, mm-hmm. and that's, yeah, that's harmful because that really wasn't 
it wasn't taking into consideration some of the concerns I had and that I was seeing. And it made right. me doubt myself. And and of course, I didn't want him to have, you know, a problem. So right. like, I, I was happy to take that advice that, oh, it is just that he's, right. you know, a boy or quirky or whatever mm-hmm. the, the case is. So. And those are, those are still dots along the, the path. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I think that's pretty common where parents, isn't there a research around parents will name questions, concerns years before an actual evaluation or diagnosis oh, happens. Yeah. It's just that there's a lot of doubt and uncertainty in the process and it slows it down. So I, I know for, for us, it was just taking, we were spending a lot of time in that area of confusion and uncertainty and holding on kind of tight to those, oh, he's just super analytical and focused mm-hmm. and those other descriptors that kind of diverted us a little bit from the the direction we needed to go. Yeah, and that's a little different than denial. And that's a little bit different than, I mean, that's our natural inclination too as parents to focus on those strengths. And so we tend to kind of maybe wear rose-colored glasses. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, sometimes just facing okay, let's call it what it is, and then mm-hmm. we can, you know, deal with it and, and move forward. So, but yeah, that's partly mm-hmm. why it's a, the spectrum is so confusing and such mm-hmm. a challenge and why it's so um, challenging for parents in particular to navigate all of that. Right, right, especially early in those early years. Yeah, and that kind of leads into the whole systems um, component too, and we're talking, you know, like broader spectrum, like medical systems and, and how a diagnosis is applied, um, because it's really not like any other sort of diagnosis because of that spectrum component. It's very individual to each person. And it's tough in a medical model society. And, and kind of what I mean by medical model is that, you know, we have um, systems in place to do a diagnosis, do the evaluation, check the boxes, have a diagnosis, and then have a plan, uh, a protocol that goes along mm-hmm. with that. And that works well for a number of things, like let's say a broken leg, mm-hmm. right? Okay, let's figure out what the, let's evaluate it, let's check off the boxes. Yep, broken leg, we put it in a cast, and you know, six mm-hmm. weeks later, you're healed. So that doesn't come into play with uh, neurodevelopmental mm-hmm. disabilities and, and those diagnoses that go along with that. So that's what's super challenging is that it doesn't fit the medical model very well because we can't put it into neat little check boxes mm-hmm. very well. We try to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not, and many times when we're saying the word diagnosis, you think that that means a certain set of actions or a certain um, path, or f- but getting an autism diagnosis means gives you very little sense of what that means for your life, for your next steps, for your future, and for your child's abilities, which is wonderful and completely confusing. So, <laughs> right. like, you know. Well, and I think it's a misconception, too, because people, you know, as I've talked and told our story, oh, when was, you know, Alex diagnosed? Well, it wasn't like one magic day. <laughs> like right. it was mm-hmm. over a period of three or four years where we went through various evaluations. You know, at 18 months, we were at the pediatrician saying, hey, he's not really talking very well mm-hmm. and kind of going, well, let's wait and see. And at two, you know, proceeding with some speech therapy and then going through a preschool evaluation process and then 
early intervention program. And then finally, at about three and a half, four years old, I don't even recall because everything was such a blur, but you know, we, we did um, go to an actual behavior behavioral pediatrician and get a medical diagnosis. Mm. And so I guess that would be the diagnosis point, you right. know, but really it was that whole evolution over a, a couple of years mm-hmm. during his preschool years where we were trying to figure out um, you know, what is going on and how do we check the boxes to figure out what's the protocol. So right. um, it was very challenging that way. And people, different systems have different boxes. So you have yeah. your education and your medical is where a lot of people start out with those two, two systems at play. Um, some of the questions, I was just thinking, you know, how um, there are screenings and you know, instruments and mm-hmm. evaluative criteria um, around defining and recognizing autism. Um, and they're wonderful and accurate and well-tested, um, but they can feel pretty arbitrary and strange to fill out. Like as you're answering mm-hmm. these questions, I remember filling out our 18-month, and it was an, an autism screening. We didn't have a clue what was going on at the time, but I remember pausing so many times. Does he point? Does he? I, I'm trying to think. Does he point or he reaches for things? Does that count? And all these ways yeah. that was incredibly hard to fill out. But then when I filled it out with my typically developing daughter, I was like through it in 12 seconds. Right. You know? Yes. Um, so it's just really um, those instruments are effective and helpful, but they can feel very strange. I remember watching my son. I think they were doing the one of the ADOS tests uh, evaluations for school, and they had to do a pretend birthday party. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, you don't know how to interact with him. Like, you don't yes. know how to engage him. If he would be successful if you just did this." And yes, they're trying to see patterns of engagement and right. ways of getting his eye contact or his participation. Yeah. And I didn't see that, so I felt like this is like totally off the mark. It's what you're doing. really those evaluation things are really hard on parents because yeah. we sit there and try and fill out the little boxes <clears throat> as best we can you know fill in those little circles mm-hmm. and and really it's just kind of like oh one more thing you can't do and one more thing mm-hmm. you can't do and so as a parent it's really hard but you have to kind of put it in a in a terms of okay this is the procedure we have to go through in order mm-hmm. to get the assistance that our child needs yeah and as Lent fellows we both have um, been in observations with clinicians at the U of M to kind of witness the diagnostic process from the other side of things and I think that was really interesting for me to understand that yes they're looking for um, patterns of behavior and 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 they're not doing it in a judging way they're trying to do it so that they can um, quantify it and put yeah. it into the little check boxes because that's what they're supposed to do. They're mm-hmm. also extremely compassionate and understanding about, you know, strengths and things like that. It's just not always the, the time and place for it. So, mm-hmm. um, and I know as a parent, it is, it's just hard to go through those evaluations, but they're really necessary. Yeah. And, and there's some sense that these are a, a fairly or trying to be pretty objective tools that are categorizing patterns and naming them and for us our experience as parents is so nuanced and so detailed to our kid and that can feel really um, unsettling and not appreciating the kind of quirks and uniqueness of our child but it's a part of the process and and I think for me I was in graduate school and I I understood like what instruments and survey instruments were for and how they so I just had to keep telling myself like this is a like a really validated tool but 
it still felt like so unfair or wrong right. or I wanted to argue it. But um, so those are hard emotions. Mama bear stuff gets yeah. brought up. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's certainly a time and place where you do need to advocate for your child with their strengths and things like that. But, you know, that's the systems that we have. And that's yeah. part of why it is kind of discombobulating again is mm-hmm. um, these systems are imperfect, mm-hmm. but necessary. Mm-hmm. So let's talk um, to about the third S, stigma, and I think this is fairly broad knowledge for most people, is that the way our society sees differences in disabilities um, often has a stigma attached to it. And I think one way that comes into play, you know, personally is, and for so many parents, is that fear of having your child labeled. And I know that's something we struggled with because, okay, yes, you want a diagnosis in order to get the services, but you don't want your child labeled and thought of in a certain way mm-hmm. as less than or to be limited in their, you know, challenges for um, or opportunities and challenges in school and things like that. So we really did struggle with that label issue because um, not only did we have a medical diagnosis, but we went through the school program or evaluation process and also had a an autism uh, diagnosis there. And I remember at the time we kind of had the choice to, uh, he kind of fell under the category of developmentally delayed or autism. And, and, you know, as a parent right away, we were like, well, we don't want him labeled as autistic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not going to, that's only going to set him up for, you know, certain misconceptions and this Mm -hmm. and that. Um, But really that was a better fitting descriptor, not a label. It was a better fitting descriptor in that it, the services that he was going to get were more specific to the needs that he had. And mm-hmm. so that's where we kind of had to swallow our pride a little bit and go, oh, okay, this is what's best for mm-hmm. um, for him. So, But labels can be tough to take. Right. Well, and I think adults on the spectrum and self-advocates would say, it's not a label, it's part of who I am. And it's it's reality. And But as parents in that process, we're not there yet. We don't recognize it as mm-hmm. such. So we start with as if we could choose or not choose a label. And, right. And fearing the, the Well, because it comes from, aspect. yeah, that we want our child to be thought of as, you know, accepted and, and, mm-hmm. and to do all the same things that every other kid does. And mm-hmm. so putting a label on feels limiting. Mm-hmm. And I, I do appreciate all the self-advocates that I've spoken with who, you know, really do identify as being autistic and there's that sense of pride with it. It's wonderful. And I think that's changing the stigma, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And leading the way for, for us to sort of envision, for me at least, envision a future that I hope my son embraces as he grows up. Um, and early on in, in our journey, I remember kind of scanning situations where where can my son pass as typical and where do we need to sort of call out the need for additional support? So like um, at the playground, so we'd often meet people and play at the playground because that was usually it worked for several years where there wasn't conflict and just as long as we were active, we were fine. Uh, one round of swimming lessons where I tried to pass as typical sort of, I don't know what kind of supports we need here, but it turned out that he just couldn't wait his turn and stay still in that overstimulating environment um, uh, in between laps for him. So things like that, um, that idea of passing as typical is really trying to fly under the radar of those stigmas, trying to Um, not call out what is happening Um, and I think for older kids and adults this idea of 
um, masking, so kind of faking your understanding and engagement in social scenarios, for example, it can end up being incredibly taxing um, and really unhealthy, but this is all in response to not wanting to draw attention um, to differences, which is part of stigma, avoiding that stigma. Right, yeah, that can be really unhealthy. The other thing I was thinking of is how autism has a history of such um, controversy. There's so many resources that have been put into finding a cure. There's conspiracy theories. Fear and confusion are just pervasive with the word autism, with that diagnosis and its history. Um, It's really, really sad. And no, there isn't one specific cause for autism identified, and that kind of creates this space for fear to and confusion to, to flourish. Um, and what I just try to do, I try not to engage in those hard areas that make me feel fearful and confused. I really try to um, recognize when I'm acting out of fear, when fear's at play in the narrative that's trying to get me to read that article or mm-hmm. check out that therapy approach or yep. something like that. Um, if fear is fear, confusion is part of it. I just see that as just a sign of caution. Like, watch yourself. I think that's really good. I think that's hard to do, and I think you know, we've all kind of gone down the rabbit hole of fear or or the questioning of why and mm-hmm. how and you know, could I have prevented this and that? Mm-hmm. And it's not healthy for anybody. It's not healthy for you as a parent. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy for your child. Um, it's it's it is what it is and let's take it and move forward and you don't need to go down those rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really have liked, and I haven't quite finished it all yet, but I mean, you, you and I have talked about the Neurotribes book and that whole history of autism. And I just really like that concept of that we're moving into more of an acceptance and a neurodiversity model right. of, of recognizing um, differences as being you know, superpowers almost. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I thought that book was really cool because it traced the way autism was framed in the United States and the way Asperger's was in Europe and the totally different ways these individuals wrote about, observed, described autism and really the consequences that has for each of how like more of a European-oriented or understanding of ASD and in the U.S., so I just that's fascinating. I'll I'll include a link in the show notes and some information about that history. Yeah, it's a really good book, and it's really it hasn't been that long. There's not a lot of history, so it's right. been interesting how it's evolved so quickly. I think one of the other um, people that I have really looked up to is Temple Grandin, and I know so many people are familiar with her, but just her whole message of that it takes all kinds of minds and that neurodiversity model, um, it's so important. And I think if you can you know, dwell in that, that's gonna take away some of the stigma. The, mm-hmm. the more we start embracing those um, differences as being positive traits, then mm-hmm. the better off society and that stigma is going to be. So, right. And which one do you kind of entertain, that sort of celebration, mm-hmm. curiosity, acceptance, um, or more of a fear, concern, um, Right. Yeah. And you just have to know that there's nothing wrong with your child and it's nothing you did as a parent. It Mm -hmm. just is what it is. And, you know, you need to take it as it comes. So as far as the self, the fourth S, um, thinking about our own reactions to learning about autism very early on, some families and parents, I've heard them say, oh, I knew something was up and I knew it was autism 
and this diagnosis was just confirmation of that. Um, that wasn't my experience. I had so much doubt and anger um, and fear throughout the whole process. A lot of questioning and then questioning every forward step we took got cross-examined mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, over and over. So um, it's that response under any response that we have. There's just this whole range of emotions. Again, we talked about grief. Um and ways we recognize when we're um, experiencing grief. Um, For me, it's like anger or really striving and fixing um, or numbing and avoiding altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, So really recognizing, I think, the self part is where do you go under stress? Just notice where you go under stress. Name it and recognize it when it comes. Um, The worst thing you can do is probably berate yourself for being there. Um, But just recognizing where you're at and saying, okay, this is stress, this is grief, this is helplessness or what have you. Well, and it's helpful to know that, you know, grief isn't always just um, tears, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it can come out sideways and it can kind of hit you out of the blue. Um, And it can be, yeah, that over striving and that over, you know, busyness a kind of mode I know for myself there's been different points uh, along the way where I have recognized that oh this is my grief that's coming out sideways and I remember very distinctly one um, memory of it was kindergarten it was the first day of kindergarten and Alex was not attending our, our public school at the time he was at an early intervention center and so we opted to keep him out of kindergarten that year and um, he was thriving and doing well and you know it was the right decision and we were very excited to be on a on a truly um, helpful path at that point like things were going well for him but I remember um, being at the window on that first day of school and seeing the little kindergarten bus coming around our neighborhood and picking up all Mm -hmm. the kids and having that little uh, photo moment and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden and I'm not a big crier but I it hit me like a ton of bricks and Mm -hmm. the tears just started coming and I'm like oh my gosh he's never going to have this first day of kindergarten moment because you know we're skipping over kindergarten we're going to go right to first grade the next year and so that little picture perfect moment was Mm -hmm. not going to be available to him and I was thought I was feeling sad for him and later that day I was like wow what was that that was really you know I'm sad about the kindergarten bus like come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know I was kind of talking through it and no I didn't want anything to change it wasn't that I thought something should be that we were doing the wrong thing Um, like I said, he was really in a good place. And so it wasn't that, and he was happy and he had no inkling that, oh, I'm missing out on kindergarten. That wasn't even on his radar. And Mm -hmm. frankly, if he had the choice and we had put him in kindergarten, he would have not done as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a structured environment (laughs) for Mm -hmm. the most part and would not have been successful for him. So I'm like, well, why was I so sad? And I realized that was about my grief. It was about my expectation and my wanting to have that moment and really kind of putting those expectations that I had had for all my children on hold because we were kind of on a different path. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. it was the wrong path or it was, you know, that we weren't doing the right thing, but it was, it was, that was all about me. It was not about Alex. I was not mm-hmm. crying for him. I was crying for me. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh. I guess there's some grief I need to deal with here. Yeah, we don't realize how, like, attached we are to these invisible 
I had no idea of what we expect and what we think things are going to look like. Right. Yeah. I thought I had dealt with all of that. And it Mm -hmm. just, you know, those little moments kind of hit you out of the blue. But Mm -hmm. when I checked myself, I was like, no, really, this is the right thing. And Alex really will not be unhappy. I mean, what kid wouldn't want to skip out on school? So Mm -hmm. he's he's totally been fine with it. Mm -hmm. So. I think another, like, again, I've talked about how where I go under stress, but I analyze, overanalyze, gather resources, and um, try to somehow, sometimes get super narrow on, okay, is this the sensory piece, or is this a social piece, or is this a communication aspect, or, you know, and I'm trying to, like, I think for me that's grasping for some control over yeah. what I can't and probably won't understand. Right. <laughs> and so um, that has actually taken a lot of time in our processes. That has delayed mm-hmm. um, learning that we could have benefited from earlier because I'm kind of wanting to perfectly capture everything sure. and understand it. And it's changing. It's changing as he grows. I think that's an important thing you said, too. It's about mm-hmm. control. And I think that happens, mm-hmm. too. Like this, So much of this is out of our control. Yeah. And the more we kind of realize that and and surrender that control Mm -hmm. um the easier this journey gets and the more and actually the better you can support your child Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um one thing i do to myself still and i try to recognize when i'm doing it is always questioning like why is this so hard like instead of this is just so hard so questioning why 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 am i doing something wrong um assuming that no one else is experiencing this struggle so why is this so hard and instead just accepting where we're at and saying okay this is hard and we've we've experienced this sort of isolating kind of hardship before it just is hard what do we do when Mm -hmm. we're experiencing sort of a crisis mode or an especially fraught time Um, so just accepting what's real what's in front of you instead of spinning and questioning it all the time and I like too that you know just accepting that this is hard is Mm -hmm. kind of a a nice way to go back to surrendering and -hmm. I think we to kind of get into this comparison mode with other people Mm -hmm. like oh well I don't have it as bad as as their family does, right? There's this Mm -hmm. comparison of hard, which I think is BS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like hard is hard. It doesn't matter what what something that's hard for me may not be hard for you Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. So like taking into consideration, well, I've got it so much worse than they do or, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of dwelling in that that, um, comparison mode of how things are hard is just not healthy either. Mm -hmm. Just Yes, it's hard and recognizing when it is and what are you going to do about right. it next. Um, there's no you know, comparison mode. Hard is hard. Mm-hmm. And also don't struggle alone when, I mean, it doesn't have to be the same kind of hard, the same dimensions, but really um, connecting to other people who are, you know, not in a woe is me, like that you leave a conversation feeling more exhausted than you came to it but in a I'm not alone I I know I draw on conversations with my friends um, many times that I'm thinking okay I'm not alone in this I remember so and so mentioned that they've set their expectations for summer much differently than (laughs) right you know um, what the multiple camps and week-long nights away or what have you like that's just not what ours looks like yeah, and it is it's comforting to be around other people that sort of get that that you're you're doing things maybe a little bit differently in order to um, best accommodate your child and your family, and that's mm-hmm. okay. So that's part of why we wanted to do this podcast too, so that you don't feel alone and you just know that you know we've 
been there and done that and so have a lot of other people and so that's where we wanted this kind of conversation to come from right right and we'll have a, I think we'll have a separate episode around support systems and yeah. friendships and um, ways that we fill our own buckets so that we can do do the day-to-day um, but hopefully this gives you a little breath and a perspective on why this journey can be so disorienting it's not just you you're not alone remember the four s's the four S's. Let's review it. I, I'm gonna. She's quizzing me. Okay. Four S's are um, the spectrum. So that autism is a spectrum disorder, and that there's a lot of um, variations to it. Mm-hmm. So that can be disorienting. There's systems, um, and the necessity of having certain systems can be um, frustrating, but also empowering. And so that adds to the the confusion. Um, stigma, and just coming from a historical perspective of how. Uh, autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders have been perceived and portrayed Mm -hmm. is also very confusing and you kind of have to um, check what society is saying against what you know and then the self um, which we just finished uh, wrapping up here with and just recognizing how you are perceiving all of these things and what part of it is you and what part of it you know, is your ownership of your feelings and what part of it is truly you know the autism stuff that you need to deal with Mm -hmm. so so three of those are completely external forces. One of them, the self, is the one that we can, I think, best focus and do our best parenting from that place. Um, maybe with the other three S's, we want to change things. We want to improve systems or fight stigma. But um, I think, for me, most of my energy needs to go into my own mindset and my own well-being so that when I have leftover, I can... Right. help beyond um, my immediate network. Yeah, those first three are more, uh, you know, if we're going to affect change there, that's more of an advocacy level and certainly mm-hmm. something that you and I both do some work on and a lot of people do. But if we're talking specifically about how to um, put on that oxygen mask and help yourself uh, be the best parent you can be, you have to focus on yourself and what yeah. your perspective is. So yeah. absolutely. Well, thanks for tuning in today. I would love to hear your feedback, your comments. Um, Again, share this with people you think it would be insightful for. Start some conversations. Thank you. We invite you to sit with or walk, kid chase, drive, or snuggle up with today's conversation in the back of your mind. Did you find kernels of joy or reassurance? Where did you feel some resistance? Let us know so we can learn and grow together. You can comment and subscribe to the podcast at wwwcea 4 that's the number four, autism.org. This is Communities Engaging Autism's website. Share the podcast with members of your village to strengthen those essential connections. And above all, please secure your own oxygen mask before helping others.